Is God calling his people to repentance and revival? That is the topic of today's episode of Kingdom Currents. By now, most of you have probably heard about what has been taking place on the campus of Asbury University. I think it was on February 8th, uh, a few students stayed after the university's normal chapel service to pray. And as they poured their hearts out to God, something started that is still going on today. Students started coming back to the chapel and simply prayed and worshiped God. This kept going on around the clock, and soon hundreds of students and faculty flooded Hughes Hall there on the campus, praying and singing to the Lord. As word spread about this, people all across the country started traveling to this small town of Wilmore, Kentucky, to see what was happening. Soon, the town was overwhelmed by the number of people. In fact, one weekend, an estimated 20,000 people from across the country and literally around the world inundated this small town with a population of about 6,000. More buildings on the campus were open for people to gather and pray and worship. In fact, the grounds became covered with people outside buildings who were there just singing praises to the Lord and praying and reading his word. Now, now some are calling it a revival. Others say it is an awakening or a visitation from God. Whatever term is used, something out of the ordinary was and is taking place. Reports of similar student gatherings at other colleges and university campus started being reported by the news. Cedarville University, Lee University, Samford University, and even Texas A&M are just some of these campuses where it seemed like spontaneous worship times started taking place and they lasted well into the night or over multiple days. I can remember hearing Alex Kendrick of the Kendrick Brothers Films share how exciting it was for he and his wife to observe students at Lee University unashamedly worshiping God. I also found it sort of fascinating that Tucker Carlson wanted to send a team from Fox News to Asbury to try and capture what was taking place there. Uh, on his top-rated cable show, Carlson shared how he was contacted by the leaders from Asbury asking him not to send a team there. You see, they, they didn't want publicity. They wanted to guard the sanctity of what God was doing in the lives of their students on campus. Carlson reported that he respected the request and canceled sending a team there. Now, as you can imagine, with any happenings like we're witnessing taking place, there are those who are going to be skeptical. I've got to be honest, there's times I say, God, is this really your move? Uh, others have sort of taken what they believe revival should entail, and they look at what's breaking out in worship and prayer, maybe can't be revival because it's not centered on the preaching of the word or centered on repentance over sin and salvations. But at the same time, reports are coming in where the word is being read and that lives are being broken, repentance is taking place, and people are saved. Now, again, there's always going to be those friends who make it an emotional thing and emotion only. 
but but it appears that God is really doing something. Are these simply displays of emotions, or or are they really a move of God? I, I don't think anyone can make any claims of what it is or isn't taking place, or should try to analyze what is happening on these campuses. I think we can't put God in a box and say he can only work in a certain way. I think that's what's gotten us into our condition that we find ourselves today. My mind went back to many years ago when I was teaching at Lynchburg Christian Academy in Lynchburg, Virginia, and Del Fazenfeld and the Life Action Singers came for a series of meetings at Liberty University. It was at that time uh, Lynchburg Uh, Baptist College and Thomas Road Baptist Church. People had been praying for revival, and and that's sort of the focus of life action. They come in trying to get people uh, saved and and broken over sin and seeing God do a work with them. And even though we'd been praying for revival, we were hoping that God would do a fresh work in the church, in the college, in the other ministries during this week of meetings. I don't think people really thought something would take place out of the ordinary. What God did was amazing. And interestingly uh, enough, a revival did come, and and it ended up taking place and began with the academy students. I, I clearly remember so many of our high school students just became conscious of God's majesty and power and holiness, and that caused them to be aware of their sin. In fact, on a couple of occasions, I had students come to me after a science class, not a Bible class, not not chapel, after a science class, and tell me that they were not saved and wanted to be born again. What what started in the academy moved over and, and spilled into the evening services where even when Dell got up to speak, People were already coming forward, broken over sin, crying out to God and wanting to repent and be forgiven. And and what happened, uh, Life Action Team actually canceled their other engagements and stayed at Thomas Road for at least another week. From that experience, I learned one thing that I believe you will find throughout Scripture. When God does show up, when he visits his people, when people become overwhelmed by his majesty and holiness, when you look at scripture so many times, when an image, a likeness of God, maybe it was a, uh, some type of thing where, where Jesus came and visited someone, it was always the same response. They fell down at the feet of the person. In fact, John even did it to an angel when he was taken up into the third heavens. And the angel said, I'm just like you. Don't bow down and worship me. But when we feel we're in the presence of God, we've got to be overwhelmed by his holiness. And that's going to cause us to understand our sin. And so we've got to realize that. See, whenever anyone sees God in his splendor and purity, they're going to better understand their sinfulness. And scripture makes it clear that there is no no one, not one of us, is a good person. We're all sinners unworthy of God's grace and mercy. So, So how am I trying to understand what is or isn't taking place at Asbury and other places around the country? I find myself praying 
that God would save sinners and bring new life to those who are saved and have grown complacent in their daily lives. But, but every Christian school that I'm in contact with, I, I regularly hear administrators and teachers tell me that they, they believe our only hope for our country is not in the Christian school movement or in some type of meeting or, or in government. Our only hope is revival. This is also true when you talk with pastors and what they believe is the answer to the moral decadence that has taken over our country. See, our hope isn't in government or some program or even in more Christian schools. Our only hope is in God, and we need a move of His that will sweep our country. No one, I think, who knows the Lord would ever question that. At a Christian school I've been working with, teachers shared with me that they believe maybe 50% or more of their students aren't born again. And when I'm at other schools that I visit, I find a common burden by their staff and the administration, and it's usually over how many families that enroll their children in these Christian schools are really unchurched. And instead of trying to judge what God is doing in other places, I have found myself burdened for God to do something where I'm at, in my life, in the school that I'm working with currently. Several passages of scriptures uh, have been heavy on my mind recently. I I remember reading in Revelation when, when John records what Jesus had to say to the seven churches. And the message that Jesus had for the church in Ephesus is the one that keeps rolling over again in my mind. Here's what it says. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. So so these people, they, they didn't like evil, and they were taking a stand against evil people. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not. So they were even careful to identify false teachers, especially when they have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my namesake and have not become weary. These are are believers who, who really wanted to serve Christ. But then Jesus says this, Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. What is it that we are loving the most in our lives and in our Christian schools? Is it academic excellence that our students are achieving? Is it in the technology and the facilities that God has blessed us with? Is is our first love in the, the athletic championships that our teams are winning? Is it in the quote-unquote prestigious colleges and universities our graduates are accepted in and are attending? Have we left our first love? Do we need to repent and do the first works? You know, there, there is that theme verse for Kingdom Education Ministries, which is Matthew 6.33, which simply says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. I find myself at this period of time when it appears that God wants to do something in our country. I find myself examining my own life, 
my ministry and asking myself, am I truly seeking God's kingdom rule in my life and in all I do? There's another verse that has weighed sort of heavy on my mind over the past couple of weeks, and it's something that Jesus said in what is referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 5, 6, we find these words from the Master. He taught, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. I can remember reading one of Warren Wiersbe's books uh, on what the kingdom is like, and it's, it's a look at the Beatitudes. And, and Wiersbe says that uh, there are several things that when you hunger and thirst, it becomes a sign of something in your life. And there were three that I remember very distinctly. First, when someone is hungry and thirsty, it's a sign of life. <laughs> Wearsby said that dead people have no appetites, and I think you would agree there. Only people who are alive can be hungry and thirst. So, so as Christians, if we hunger and thirst for God's righteousness, that means we're alive in Christ. We have eternal life. It's a sign of our uh, salvation. Second, hunger and thirst, uh, they're, they're signs of health. You've ex probably experienced a time when you became very sick. <laughs> and often when, when one of us becomes very sick, we lose our appetite. We don't want to eat. Food doesn't taste good. And doctors get excited when a person who's been very ill all of a sudden seems to regain a hunger and a thirst for food and drink because doctors then say, oh, they're on their way to recovery. When we put forth great effort, a third thing that hunger and thirst shows is a sign of fatigue. You know, after maybe taking a run out in the country or working in the yard or, or going and playing a sport and, and, and your body just is depleted of its nutrients, what happens? We're hungry and we're thirsty. You know, we, we know our bodies tell us we need new energy. We need to eat or drink something to restore the energy that we put forth in our effort. And you know, when you're out there serving the Lord and you're out there in Christian school of ministry, if we're hungry and thirsting for God's righteousness, for his presence, it's a sign that we may be fatigued and we need to be revived. One of the things that we all realize is that food and drink physically only provides temporary satisfaction. After a time, we're going to be hungry and thirsty again. But Jesus tells us in this verse, and he also told the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, that, that if you hunger and thirst for what he has, you'll never be thirsty again. We, we will be fully satisfied. Many years ago, I was visiting a Christian school in a small community. The founder of the school was present at this event. Her and her husband wanted to have a Christian school for families in this small rural town, and so they invested their savings in starting this little Christian school. I learned that this lady's husband, uh, he had passed away, but he was a pilot, and one day when he was flying his small plane, he had to stop at an airport for refueling. But what happened was the ground attendant 
unfortunately put the wrong fuel in this plane. Instead of the fuel for this plane, he put in jet engine fuel. Now, upon taking off, this gentleman, everything was going smoothly, and he thought, hey, I'm safe, I'm going well. Little did he know that the good fuel in his plane was being used up. When the bad fuel reached the engine, there was engine failure, and the plane went down, taking this man's life. And, and, and I find it a very similar situation that takes place in so many of our Christian lives. Instead of soaring for God day in and day out, I, I find Christian adults, Christians teaching in Christian schools, even pastors, we, we, we end up crashing every once in a while. And, and that's not what God wants. But, but what happens is, especially with young people and, and adults too, we, we go to church once a week, we hear the word preached, that that's given us good fuel. But the rest of the week, we don't get back into the word. We're, we're, we don't talk to other Christians. And, and we end up just receiving the fuel that the world wants to put in. And many young people do this when they're attending secular schools. They go to church and they get some good fuel. But the rest of the week, they get a secular worldview dumped into their hearts and minds. And even in Christian schools, sometimes the only good fuel that young people receive is in Bible class or chapel. And the rest of their studies come from secular textbooks, just like in public schools and secular private schools. And, and, and they're not fed all, all through the school day. What happens is that they do get some good fuel. They get God's word at church or in certain classes at their Christian school. However, the rest of their lives, they take on bad fuel. These young people take off into life, and, and I've seen adults do the same thing. Everything seems to be going smoothly after we go to church or we go to a special event or, or, or we go to a concert because we get a little bit of truth, good fuel. And, and what happens is the world has put so much bad fuel into our lives that when that good fuel runs out, because what you get on one hour on a Sunday morning is not going to get you through a whole week. Then the lives of the world that we've been fed, that we've fueled our lives with, kicks in and we experience engine failure. Again, this happens too often in the lives of adult believers. This is why God says that we are to continue or take up daily residence in his word so that we'll stay up in flight, that our lives are fueled by truth all through the day. So, so as we sort of wrap up this episode, what should be our response to what is happening at colleges and universities across the country? I believe that there are several things we can do. Number one, we need to pray that God does a work in every life of every student at these universities. We need to pray specifically for God to make himself known so that students who are true believers will seek his kingdom rule in their lives. We also need to pray that God will convict unbelievers of their need to be born again and that they will respond to God's call to salvation. I think a second thing we need to do, we must examine our own lives. It is critically important for each of us to get alone with God and cry out to him to revive us.
Now, this may be painful, as God's presence may show us our sinfulness. But when this happens, we need to confess and repent of our sin. Third, we need to fervently pray for our own children and or students. <coughs> Third, we need to fervently pray for our own children and our students that God will save them. Now think about it. If maybe 50% or more of our students in our Christian school may not be saved and are unchurched, our hearts need to be broken to the point that we call out to God in desperation that he would bring them into his kingdom. See, if we truly want to see God move in our lives, our homes, our churches, and our Christian schools, we, we won't have time to try and understand if God is moving at these universities or if it is simply an emotional high these students are caught up in. I, I, I leave you with a few questions that I'm asking myself right now. Number one, is my relationship with God through Jesus my first love? If not, I'm asking God to show me what I'm loving more than him. Another question I'm asking is, am I seeking God's kingdom rule in my life? Or is my life compartmentalized to the point I only seek his rule in my life on Sundays or during the spiritual compartment of my life? Number three, I'm asking myself, am I really hungering and thirsting for him and his righteousness? Or I'm hungry for some of the things of this world. Maybe for, you know, some of the moral decline and the attacks on Christianity be taken away. Do I hunger more for him and his righteousness than for God to do something in our government? See, we say we need a revival. But if we mean it, we will cry out to God to revive us. And when he moves, I believe we will be broken. And we will hunger and thirst for him like never before. Lord, do whatever needs to be done so that your people repent and do the first works you want us to do. May God bless you as you seek him.